God is good all the time. We have um, a lot of things to happen yet. <laughs> um, some of them have to do with uh, Veterans Day, but let me just say this. At the end here, we hope to have a closing prayer, okay? <laughs> We're going to try to work that in. And uh, right, is it before or after the video, Terry Sullivan has got something to say to us? Before. And as soon as that closing prayer is led, I just, just sit tight, please. Terry is one of our veterans here at, the, uh, at our congregation, and he wants to say just a few words about our veterans before we uh, leave here this morning. We have a, a, a five-minute video music presentation kind of honoring the people connected with Sunshine who have served in the uh, armed forces and uh, made that contribution to our safety and security as a nation. And then uh, we will dismiss with just a, a word. And um, there might be some other things happen, too. Who knows? We're offering an invitation. And so that, that's always a possibility. What do you do when your dream has been destroyed for the umpteenth time? I always watch the Olympics. And for, I, I, when I see those people, those three people who are standing on the podium there, gold and silver and bronze, I always think about the hundreds and maybe thousands of people who dreamed about being there but never got there. And maybe they have worked uh, many, many, many years, but they're just, it's just not in the cards. It's just not going to happen. How do those people maintain their, uh, their regiment, their, the discipline that it takes to prepare for the Olympics and to get yourself to the very top of what you uh, want to do? I mean, it's a dream, isn't it? People dream about winning Olympic gold. There's lots of things that happen uh, for an athlete, but probably Olympic gold is, uh, is the thing that they uh, dream about more than any other. I don't know if you remember this fellow or not. His, his name was Dan Jansen. He was an Olympic uh, speed skater, the world record holder and world champion in speed skating, men's speed skating, for several years. This goes from 1981 to 1994. He was kind of on the scene and was a major force in the whole sport of speed skating. Um, the thing of it is, though, even though he was world record holder for several years during that time, when he went to the Olympics, he seemed to be jinxed. His first Olympics was 1984. Uh, he was 19 years old. He had qualified to be on the U.S. team. He competed in the 500-meter and the 1,000-meter races. And even though he was at the top, of his uh, game. He finished 16th in the 1,000 meter and fourth in the 500 meter. Did not get his medal. Well, then comes 1988. He's had some time to, you know, you get, you get that first time past you. And he's gotten even better at this. And when he goes to the Olympics in 1988, he is, uh, he's the odds-on favorite for gold in those, in those two events. But just a few hours before his races, he received news that his sister, who had been suffering with the leukemia, was at the point of death. And in 1988, some of the technology that we have now is not available, but he made a last-minute phone call to his sister to talk with her, to say some words to her and have her speak back. She was so weak, she couldn't even say words to him, but she could hear what he said. Well, that, that really kind of uh, broke his concentration. 
And so in 1988, even though he was the, uh, the favorite, uh, when he got to his two events, the 500 and the 100, he was setting world record pace in both of those races and uh, went down in a turn and didn't even finish, did not place. So his Olympic hopes, his hopes of gold, his dreams of gold were gone. He comes back in 1992. Again, he's expected to win the gold in both events. He's the world record holder at that time. And I don't know what happened to, to him here, who knows, but he finished fourth in the 500 and 26th in the 1,000. Very disappointing. 1993, this is not an Olympic year, but he comes back and he sets the world record in the 500 meters and was favored to win the gold in 1994 at Lillehammer. He knew this was his last uh, opportunity, and he had already announced he would not be coming back for any more of the um, any more of the Olympics. He had set a, a new world record and Olympic record. He set a new world record and an Olympic record in the 500 at, at Olympics. He's one of the few people who had ever skated that 500 under 36 seconds. And he won his gold. He won one gold. He dedicated his medal to his sister who died while he was at the Olympics in 1988. And he took a final victory lap And I remember watching this. He went to the sidelines and he got his uh, one-year-old daughter and skated a victory lap, and the crowd went wild. They were just so happy for him that he had realized his dream. You know, God has dreams for his people. He has dreams for all of us. Dreams about who we will be. Dreams about our lives, our marriages, our careers, our ministries. About our education, about our children, about our families, and they're all good dreams. I want you to look at Jeremiah 29, 11. These are words that we uh, quote from time to time. They're actually about Israel, a situation that existed in the 7th century, but uh, they fit here. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. God is saying, you know, I have such great dreams for you, Israel. Come along with me. It, it, it's good. I'm giving you a future and a hope. Dream the dream I have for you. Dream with me. Last week, when God's dream, uh, we, we just made this point. When God's dream for us becomes our dream, those dreams are going to come to pass. You cannot restrain such a combination. But the question I want to talk about today is what do you do when your dream has been flattened for the upteenth time? Do you have the courage to get back up and go after it again? There's a lot of things out there that can knock us flat. Our finances, sickness, divorce, death, drugs, mental illness, alcohol, fire, flood. I mean, there's all kinds of things that can happen to you along the way that will make achieving your dream, the dream that God has for you, impossible. And when Satan has flattened you for the umpteenth time, do you have the courage to start to dream again and then to pursue God's dream again? 
And this morning, uh, this is the message is very simple. When our dreams are crushed, we have to find the courage to dream again. And the big barrier that we have to overcome in, in, in this dreaming again process is discouragement. I want to take you to the story of Joseph in our Old Testament. And I want you to think about him because in many ways what happens with Joseph here, uh, I, I think he's a man whose dream was crushed repeatedly. And he kept getting back up and going, hanging on to that dream and, and dreaming again and it came to be. When we see uh, Joseph, uh, his brothers called him the dreamer. They were making fun of him when they said that. But uh, when we find him, he's, age, he's only 17 years of age. He begins, to be, he begins to receive dreams from God. And Joseph believed those dreams and made them his own and began to pursue them. And the story of Joseph is that time after time, Joseph had to break through discouragement in order to finally see the fulfillment. So now I just want to look at this story fairly, fairly closely here, just enough to kind of carry this through. In Genesis 37, he's introduced as a young man of 17 years of age. There's a lot about Joseph that we would not like. I mean, he's a fine man in, in, in many ways, even at 17. But there are some things about Joseph that uh, might, you, know, you might want to keep him away. Chapter 37 and verse 2. These are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph, when 17 years of age, was pastoring the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Nobody likes a tattletale. And that's how his brothers looked. I mean, here he is. And you know, son, they're out there, and they're away from their dad, and maybe they say something or do something. It's not exactly what dad wants them to do. And little brother... Runs back to the house and said, guess what they said, guess what they did. Well, that, that really endears you to your brothers, I can tell you that. <laughs> Verses 3 and 4. You find out that dad was playing favorites and uh, Joseph was the favorite. Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was a son of his old age. He made him a very colored tunic, a, a coat of many colors. His brothers saw their father loved him more than all his brothers and so they hated him. He cannot speak to him on friendly terms. Well, there's another. If you were in that family and you were one of those brothers and you saw that parent treating that child special and kind of ignoring you, you can understand why that's not a real good family situation. And here's his little favorite, his little pet. Verses 12 and 13. Uh, maybe the brothers were part of the reason that this was this way because he was a tattletale, but... When there was work to be done, uh, Joe, Joseph didn't have to go. Jacob would keep him at home. Verse 12 and 13. Then his brothers went to pasture their father's flock in Shechem. Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? And uh, so here, here we are. Why, are. why isn't he out there with his brothers helping out, doing the things? He's 17 years old. He can do lots of work. But he's not. Dad kept him home. He doesn't have to do that. He says, are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, I'll go. That would be better sitting around here. And so he's exempted from the work, the work that his other brothers have to do. He, he doesn't have to do it. But the straw that broke the camel's back are the dreams that Joseph began to receive from God. And then he was, he was so naive, he turned around and repeated those dreams to 
his family, not realizing maybe what those dreams meant or how his family would react to them. But they were, there were two dreams in particular that are mentioned in verses 5 through 11. I'm not going to look at them. But the bottom line of both of those dreams, and you don't have to be a genius or a rocket scientist to figure this out. The bottom line of both of those dreams is that his family would be bowing down to him as if he were a king. And that even made his dad mad. I mean, he, he, he just said, shut up. I, I can't handle this anymore. These dreams, along with the other factors that we've already mentioned, created a terrible jealousy in that family. But the important thing I want you to see here is that there are these dreams that Joseph is having are from God. Which meant that God had something special in mind for Joseph. Joseph believed those dreams. He made them his own. And it took 22 years before those dreams are actually fulfilled. But in those 22 years, Joseph is faced with discouragement after one thing after another. Joseph had to learn how to deal with discouragement. And part of learning how to deal with discouragement is to know what the sources are going to be. There are four sources of discouragement that Joseph faced. And I, I just want to talk about them in order very quickly, hopefully very quickly. And maybe there's something in that that will help us as we face our own discouragements. The first source of discouragement that Joseph faced was his own family, which we've already kind of been working on that. Now, don't get me wrong. Joseph had a good family. I mean, a, a good family, a lot about it that was positive. But it's very clear that his parents and his brothers were not too happy about the dreams and what they meant. They never, uh, I, I don't think anyone that maybe at that point really understood the dreams or what they meant. Mostly they were just offended by the whole idea of us, all of his older brothers and his mom and dad, bowing down to him. I could see why that would be offensive. But that made life hard for young Joseph. And the reason I mention this is sometimes we, I think we need to realize that the greatest source of discouragement that we are going to face will be the people who live with us in our own home. Okay? I I know that sounds weird, but I, I believe it's true. The greatest, because they matter so much. And a word from them has so much impact. And how they react to us has so much impact. It's not that they're bigger and stronger than anybody else, but for us they are. And when they're not there, it's so discouraging. I went to the first, uh, Serena and I went to the first Saving the Family Conference in Dallas, Texas. This is back in 1989, 1990. I can't remember which year it was. Uh, anyway, it was a big thing, Herald of Truth putting it on, and they... they it was a great conference. Um, I remember we ran into David and Linda Lewis while we were there, uh, walking down the hallway, and there they were. And they said, hey, said, good to see you guys. And yes, yeah, Sunshine decided to send us. And I know he brought back uh, lots of things here that were probably helpful to the congregation. But uh, Royce Money, who was the president of ACU at the time, spoke. He was one of the keynote speakers. And he gave a talk called Roots and Wings. And that was the theme of the whole conference, Roots and wings. And so those are the two things that a kid has to get from his family. Roots and wings. Roots is about foundation, about being connected, about not being alone, about having a place where you can always go that they will take you in, a place called home. He said that's roots. But he says, you know, it's not enough just to have roots from your family. You also have to get your wings. And wings is about competence. And confidence and optimism 
and, and, and learning that to not be afraid to step out and to go, go for it, whatever it is, go for the gold. To spread your wings and fly. And he says that's something else that young people have to get from their families. Or when you look at Joseph's family, I think they gave a pretty good job of giving him roots, although it wasn't quite as good as home as what I would hope it would be. But when it came to his dreams, they clipped his wings. They laughed at him. They were mad at him because he related to his family the dreams that God had given him. They didn't understand it. And they just wanted to shut up. Joseph had to uh, pursue God's dreams without uh, the support and the encouragement of his own family. And you know uh, how important that is. Shortly after uh, that Saving the Family conference, uh, uh, I was with uh, our youth group at Roseville. We had gone to the Michigan Youth Conference. And while we were at the Michigan Youth Conference uh, that, that year, it was Rex Boyles. He was uh, one of the leaders, one of the big guys that... Uh, at the Sunset School of Preaching or the Sunset Institute of Biblical or International Biblical Institute is what it is now. Anyway, it, it, it's one of the finest uh, preacher preparation uh, schools that we have in our brotherhood as far as I'm concerned. I, I, I think that they're very focused and they do a great job of preparing people. Rex was in charge of a program called AIM, Adventures in Missions. And what this program was about was to give about a year of training of language and culture and all that sort of thing to, to, uh, to a student who was preparing to spend another year uh, on the mission field working kind of as an intern with some missionary somewhere, uh, somewhere else in the world. And, and they would send out 30, 40, 50, 60 young people every year. They'd go through that year of training and, and year of uh, learning the culture, where they're going to be going, and getting placed with the people that, that, that they wanted to work with. And, and the whole idea of this was give, a, give these young people a chance to find out what it's about, to get a taste, uh, to give them some training, to get some air, and maybe they will become full-time missionaries for the Lord in that part of the world. That's what the AIM program was about. It was a wonderful thing. Well, Rex was there at the Michigan Youth Conference, and he said something about young people, about the young people who wanted to be in the program and the family support, which they did or did not receive. And Rex said, you know, I was surprised at first. He said, we had many, many young people who were wanting to train for mission work, the mission field, somewhere else in the world. But he said, I found out that one of the biggest roadblocks that those young people had to overcome was their own family. You understand what I'm saying? It's like mom and dad didn't want junior off you know on another continent doing anything let alone being a missionary and it even went so far he said i you know he said i had one case he said this boy wanted to go to uh, whatever i don't know what country it was but he said his dad promised to buy him a brand new pickup truck if he didn't go roots and wings sometimes place of discouragement is our own family so you know every parent recognizes the need for people to get into full-time service for the lord every christian parent i think uh, is probably willing to support others glad that others do it and understand the need for training for them to go and, and they're all supportive of it they just don't want their own son or daughter to go that's a whole other thing 
And what you young people may find out is that your greatest source of discouragement may come from your own family. If God gives you the dream of working full-time for him in ministry, you may have to fight the people in your own house to do it. Joseph dealt with that. Here's the second source of discouragement. I, want, I really need to move this along. And that is, uh, you may end up, when you're pursuing God's dream, you must pursue God's dream in God's way. God has a path that you must walk. And it's a moral path. And it's a, a, a path where you're going to make some hard decisions along the way to do the right thing, even though you may be tempted to, do, to take the shortcuts or whatever it is. And your second source of discouragement, that I, I think Joseph faced this, was even though he was following God's dream, pursuing God's dream, and, and walking on God's path toward this dream, he ended up suffering for doing the right thing. So he's taken down to Egypt. He's sold into slavery. He becomes the head uh, slave in the house of a man named Potiphar. Chapter 39, that's where all this is found. Uh, but there's a discouraging situation that develops there. Joseph isn't looking for trouble. He's trying to do the right thing, trying to live a moral life, trying to bring glory to God. He does a great job for his, for his master. He's the operational head of the estate. But for just a matter of a, of a few weeks, a few months, Potiphar sees what a great guy he is. But Potiphar has a wife. And she has eyes for Joseph. And whenever Potiphar is away, she keeps offering herself to Joseph. And he keeps telling her, no, no, no. He repeatedly refuses her and, and is avoiding her. But there comes this day when she is just very insistent and she gets so frustrated with him, so mad at him because he won't give in, that she creates this little situation where he is, she knows he's going to be accused of a sexual assault against her. But she's tired of it. So she makes those allegations, and he ends up in prison for something he didn't do. And what, what I'm saying is, is sometimes we, as we're pursuing God's dream, and as we're, uh, as we're going a long way, and we're, trying to, we're pursuing God's dream in God's way, we're following his path, you may end up suffering for doing the right thing. That's a huge, huge discouragement to people. I was doing the right thing. I was minding my own business. I was taking care of business. I was doing what God wanted me to do. And now here, what? I'm in prison for something I didn't do. So God has not promised to shield us from all those attacks. What he has promised is to go with us through those times. And so 1 Corinthians 10 and 13, there's no temptation that's overtaken you but such as is common to man. God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted above what you're able, but will, with the temptation, provide or make a way of escape. God had said, hey, I'm not going to protect you from all testing and trial and temptation. I just promise to go through it with you. There will be a way, and I'll be with you. That brings us to the uh, third source of discouragement, and that is uh, unreliable friends. This is Genesis chapter 40. While in prison, Joseph makes two very good friends. One is a guy who used to work for the Pharaoh who was the cupbearer. That's a very high position in that day and time. And the other was a baker. Both of them related to food. I thought that's interesting. But anyway, these two guys, uh, the cupbearer and the baker, have dreams. And they don't understand what their dreams are. And what well, Joseph, man, is the dreamer. Joseph has, uh, he has a knack. He has a gift from God. 
for uh, understanding these things. And he gives the interpret. They, they come to him and ask him. They give him his problem. He interprets the dream. And what, he, and what it amounts to is this, is that the cupbearer is going to be released. He's going to go back to his old job as being cupbearer for the Pharaoh. But the baker, no. Three days, both of these guys are going to, one's going to be dead and the other's going to be back in this, this place. And before, uh, before Joseph interprets the dream of the cupbearer, he says, you know, you're going back, but I, I just want you to know, when you get back there, please, 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 plead my case. I'm innocent. And the cupbearer says, you got it, buddy. You got it. When I get out and I get back to the Pharaoh, I, I, I will, I'll be there and I'll be your advocate and I'll get you out of here. Now, it doesn't say all that stuff in, in, in there, but it, it, it's implied that that was, uh, that was the agreement. So here goes the cupbearer. He goes back to the, to the Pharaoh, back to a very important job, and Joseph waited, and he waited, and he waited, and he waited, and he waited. There was no communication. No visits, no progress reports coming from the cupbearer. And he finally realizes his friend, the cupbearer, has let him down. He was hoping for so much more from him. Sometimes as we pursue the dream that God has for us, we need a friend to come through for us. We need a brother or a sister to come through. It's not just about our family, but we need someone to do something for us, to say something for us, to be our advocate, to give us a helping hand. And rather than a helping hand, we get a, a stiff arm. Maybe uh, rather than cooperation, we get opposition. Maybe rather than fellowship, we get, uh, they're, they're like avoiding us. Maybe we need someone to listen to and we get a lecture. Maybe we're needing a reality check and all we get is small talk. You know, there are things that you need sometimes in the dreams that God has for us. I've said this sometimes, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of half-joking, but I'm also about half-serious. The church, listen to this, the church would be a wonderful thing if it wasn't for the people. You have to think about that a while. Everything about the church is perfect. God, God and Jesus is the head, he's perfect. And, and the whole plan of it is perfect. And, and the word that guides it is perfect. And I mean, it's just perfect, 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 perfect. But then God takes all these icky people, and puts them in there. Now, okay, now it's a mess. The church would be just a wonderful thing if it wasn't for the people. That's, you, that's almost always our problem. And, and here's one of the problems that, that comes along with people. Nothing is ever final with people. And that is very, that's very frustrating and upsetting. I remember years and years and years ago, my brother Brian was going through... Uh, his first divorce. And when I came home from, uh, I don't know where, I was living in Nashville at the time. He came home, and I knew he was upset, and I just went out to talk with him a little bit. And He was laying under his car, uh, working on his car. And This all comes at the end of months of struggle, trying to fix things, trying to make things right with this particular person. And every time he thought he had it fixed, it, it blew up, and finally she had left. Nothing he did seemed to help or matter. And uh, he was under his car. He was tightening down a bolt. And I'm laying on the ground, and I'm looking at him underneath the car, and I'm talking with him. And he looked over at me, and he said, you know why I like working on cars? I said, no. You good at it? He said, look, 
And he, he had the ratchet in his hand, and he was cranking. He was putting something, uh, putting a bolt back in place, cranking it down. He said, when I tighten this bolt, I can come back a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, and that bolt is going to be exactly where I left it, tight and in this right place. He said, I love that. He said, where do you tighten the bolts down on people? That was the frustration. Church would be a wonderful place if it wasn't for people. But here's what I want to say. There's no reason to forsake the dreams of God, the dreams that God has for each of us that he's given us because of what some friend does or does not do or what the church does or does not do or what some brother in Christ did or did not do. And there's no reason for us to give up on our dreams that God has given to us because our spouse has left or our kids have not turned out like we, we couldn't find the place on the kid where we could tighten down the bolt and make it stay, you know? In the end, the only thing that we have that's absolutely certain is God and his faithfulness to us. That's, that's the rock bottom. That's the rock that we live on. That's the only rock we have. Look at Psalm 18 and 2. David realized this. David lived in the palace, and he's surrounded by all this palace intrigue, all of these plots and all these things going on. That, that was a large, large part of what happened in, in, in the ancient Near East. And still, it's politics, and someone's only trying to undermine you, and someone's trying to kill you maybe. But here's what, here's what David says. You know, I, I know I've got friends who just soon see me dead as alive. But here's what he says. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. He said, I've got one place, one person that I can count on all the time, every time. The Lord is my rock. And my fortress. That brings us to the fourth source of discouragement. And that is just time. 22 years of waiting. I don't know, you know, uh, Joseph was 17 when he had, had, had his first dream and he first relates it. In Genesis 41, 46 to 48, there's some information there that kind of uh, gives us uh, the chronology. It helps us establish the chronology of this. It says that uh, this is at the end of his uh, imprisonment. And it says, now Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh. So he's 17 when all this starts. And there's 13 years that intervene that brings him up to the time when he finally gets out of prison. And he's before Pharaoh. And you remember how all that happens. He interprets the dream of the Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said, man, if you understand all this stuff, we're going to put you in charge of what this dream is about. He made him head of the agricultural efforts and storage efforts of, uh, of, uh, of Egypt because there was a famine coming. Seven years of plenty and then to be followed with seven years of famine. And Joseph had, Joseph had looked at the dream that Pharaoh had and he figured it out. He said, that's what God's telling me. That's what this dream means. So he's in charge of agriculture and storage of that agriculture for the next seven years. So that would make him 37 at the end of, the, uh, at the end of that period of plenty. And then starts the famine. And so we're in the first year of the famine. He would be 38. And I'm guessing that his family, the famine, the worldwide famine, begins to affect his family, has affected his family to the point that they need to go buy food, probably in his 39th year, the second year of the famine. 
And his brothers are about 800 miles away, and they're starving. And they've heard that there's food in Egypt. And so they make the trip down there. And uh, all, all of these things uh, are, 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 coming, are coming together. But from age 17 to age 30, J Joseph battled through one discouragement after another. But he was faithful to the Lord. He hung on to his dream. And then begins uh, seven years of a different kind of testing. Great power, success. I mean, that's, that's almost as, as overwhelming as the discouragement. But anyway, it's just the passing of time. When is this dream that God has given to me going to finally come to be? I've been in prison now for about 13 years. Now I'm out and I'm, a, I'm the king of Egypt or second in, second in command in all of Egypt. I'm I just trying to figure out how, and I don't understand how this works. Sometimes it's hard to hang on to God's dream when there's no progress and the dream is fading with each passing year, each passing moment. And many, many people are expecting God's dreams to be realized in a matter of, few weeks, a few months, a few years, become a Christian, and I just want everything to go away, that it's all going to be solved, because now I've got God, I've got the Holy Spirit, I've, God's on my side, and, and, and we're saying God has a better dream for me than what I've had in the past, and we kind of expect it to happen pretty quick, and when it doesn't, it begins to wear on us, and it becomes a source of discouragement. The truth is, it takes a lifetime for some of God's dreams to be realized. And for some of us, it will stretch into eternity. But too many people are giving up on God's dreams for them because they have not learned one thing. Patience. At 39 years of age, Joseph's brothers show up before him, starving. On their knees before him with their little baskets and buckets and sacks and everything else that they wanted to carry grain in that they had come to buy. They needed food, and they are bowed down before him, just like the dream. David, or Joseph, sees it immediately. The thing about this dream, though, is that he hadn't realized that what this dream was about was about saving their lives, and they hadn't realized it either. It was not a matter of lording it over them or humiliating them or him thinking that he was better than anybody else, and that's kind of how they took the dream in the first place. It was never about that. This dream was about God's way of preserving all of Joseph's family. And in that family was a man named Judah. And through Judah would come the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God. And the dream was about preserving that lineage. Do you have the courage to dream the Lord's dreams for yourself? If you've lost those dreams, could you start again? God has a dream for you, and it could become your dream too if you wanted to make it your dream. And when you and God are dreaming the same dream, it will happen. Don't let any discouragement along the way kill the dream for you. Is there someone here this morning who would obey the gospel of Christ to become a Christian and buy in to the dream that God has for you? We're going to sing our hymn of invitation if there's someone here this morning who wants to become a Christian. Now is your chance. Let's stand.